0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Waterfowl. Hello and welcome to another edition of the North American Waterfowler. My name is Elliot and today's episode is the first episode after wrapping up the 23-24 duck hunting season. And man, did I have some kind of weekend. I mean, I, I am calling last weekend as one of the best weekends of my entire life. And I'm not just talking about hunting. I mean, just in general. This was... One of the most epic weekends. I went on the best waterfowl duck hunt of my entire life. Where we had mallards floating down in the trees. Big groups of mallards floating down in the trees. I limited out three days in a row. The Chiefs are now going to another Super Bowl. I got to hang out with Nate. And his awesome wife and their little kid, Nate, is from Louisiana. He runs the Falling Tide YouTube channel. I got to hunt with Aiden, Jeremy, my buddy Jacob. Man, this was the type of weekend that I will be remembering and talking about forever. Now, the waterfowl season is now wrapped up. And I'm going to dedicate an entire show to... um, a review of the whole season. I'm going to go through my ups and my downs of the season this year, mostly ups, because this was the best season of my life. I I shot more ducks than any other season, not more mallards than any other season, but more ducks significantly. And and I'm going to divert, uh, um, not divert. I'm going to dedicate an entire show to that and, and give my thoughts on the migration the season. And and as in the following weeks, I'm going to be a- asking some guests on here and I'm going to try to spread it out. I want to get a guest from the Pacific Flyway, Atlantic Flyway. I want to get get a guest up north, a guest from the Mississippi Flyway. And I want the basis of that conversation to be the migration. And what did you see from the migration this year? It was a strange year this year, the strangest year of migration that I ever mm-hmm. remember. And so I'm going to dedicate a whole show to that. But this is the, this show I'm going to be talking about, um, my weekend, my last hunt update. And then, um, the main meat of this though, the thing that I'm most looking forward to talking about is the Kansas commission had a meeting last Thursday. And if you haven't heard, they have proposed some new regulations, which would, only allow non-resident hunters to hunt on Sundays, Mondays and Tuesdays. And we just had another commission meeting and they moved this thing forward in a big way. I'm actually going to be playing for you the audio of that commission meeting and talk about my thoughts on it and my thoughts on crowding and overpressuring in the state of Kansas. So I'm looking very much forward to bringing all this to you guys today. Before we get to all of that though, I want to remind you of the sponsor's final approach. FABrand.com. The code there is FDH10 for 10% off. It is never too early to jump in there and start preparing for next year. I already have some things on my list that I know I want to get. I would like to get a bunch of cute decoys for September and early October because I hunted those with, um, over a big coot spread with Matt from Higher Prairie sportsman Rise out there in Nebraska, and I think, I think you're going to need three, four, five dozen, but um, I'd say five dozen at least to be really effective with this. But I want, I want to add that into my arsenal. There's some other things I need to put my list together. I'll probably do an episode about that too, like my off-season list. So as you're going through your off-season list and looking for your new purchases, final approach fa dot fdh10 is the ten percent off off code. Motion Ducks decoy spreader, motionducks.com. You always are going to need motion in your spread. Water motion is a huge part of attracting ducks. If you've ever seen drone footage of ducks on the ground, the last thing you see is stagnant still water that's not moving. So motion ducks, and that is FDH-10 as well. And then Onyx Hunt. Download that today to start marking your pins, checking. uh, There's just so much you can do on there. So go and download that as well. So let's go ahead and jump into this weekend of mine. And on the last episode, what I I had told you guys was that the only thing that my season was lacking was some really A-plus mallard hunts. And that's what I was hoping with this last season. So you know guys you know I had that heart attack, and I was only able to hunt one other time in the month of January, or two times actually, with uh Jake, where I shot um I think five or six birds on those two hunts. They weren't great hunts at all. And then I wasn't able to hunt because we had that cold front come in that just that massive blast of air come in, and it just got too cold for me. And so I had to sit it out. And so I, this last weekend we got a big warm up, but I wasn't sure whether we were going to find any open water or not. I uh, I just don't have a lot of experience with this kind of warm up and this type of ice. We have moments where we have really really cold days. Never two two and a half weeks of t- temperatures anywhere between single digits to below freezing. So the ice that formed here was. Thick. So I just didn't know what we were going to be able to find. Now on this weekend, we had planned uh, Nate from Falling Tide to come in and stay at the house. His wife, his daughter came in and they were rolling in on Thursday evening and Nate was going to hunt Friday and Saturday and then head back. You know, he's from Louisiana and that is about a 12, 13 hour drive. So it's a long, long ways. He came and hunted with me in November. Those videos are out on YouTube and we had two of the most enjoyable hunts I kind of packaged those hunts together because they were very similar, same day, or same spot both days. So they're kind of like packaged together, but they were just two of the most satisfying fun hunts of the year. And I was just so thrilled that Nate came all the way from Louisiana in November. It hit just right, and we were able to just have a fantastic hunt. Limits both days. And so when he's coming up in January, January in this state is absolutely hit or miss. When you're dealing with ice, the freeze, the thaw, had he come the weekend before any of the, the second or the third weekend of January, it would have been difficult. I know people that were shooting birds, but it was just much, much more difficult to get on them. The opportunities were less. And as he came up, I told him, I don't know how it's, I don't know. We're just going to do our best. And his wife um, and daughter were coming up. Um, so, you know, anytime that you bring your wife on the day, you're still going to hunt, but maybe you can't go quite as all out hunting because you'd want to get back and see your wife and, and spend some time with the wives too. Cause we had our kind of wives involved and that made the, that made the trip just more fun, but it changed it a little bit. So I talked to Aiden my buddy golden boy. And he said, Hey, I've got Thursday and Friday off. And so I'm going to scout all day Thursday. And I'm like, Oh, this is fantastic. This is fantastic because you know, being a weekend hunter, like I am the scouting a lot of time just takes a hit. My plan had been to have Nate do a bunch of scouting all day on, on Thursday, on friday when he got here and hope he hope he could get in an evening hunt and then we'd hit it saturday because I, I just could not take off friday because i missed too many days because of my heart attack and before that i had got sick with the flu and missed two or three days from that so i'm like out of days to take off i'm out but once i found that Aiden was going to be doing a bunch of scouting i just figured okay this is going to be this is probably going to be good because if anyone can find him it's Aiden. He is the most tenacious scouter of anyone that I've met. He will get out, and I think one day he did seven miles on foot trying to find birds. So he is just a bloodhound when it comes to scouting. And I figured, man, now that Aiden is involved in this, our chances of having success are going to go way up because I just wasn't sure. I wasn't getting much word from other people about, about the ice open. I just wasn't hearing much because people um, were assuming everything was frozen. Now the weekend before I had found a lot of birds, but so I knew there were birds around. It's just a matter of in, in the ice thaw phase, scouting is way more important than in say November and December in November and December. You can pretty much count on whether you're going to do well or not based on what the weather's been, you know, at that point I wouldn't, I will know my spots. I'll know where the food is and, Basically, how long has it been since the last cold front? If the cold front has been recent, you're going to do well. If the, the the farther you get away from that cold front, the more unpredictable it is and the less your chances are. So you can go on blind hunt a lot of times um, in in those times of year. If you just know the conditions and habitat and what the weather's been. But once you get ice involved and once you get frozen lakes, frozen rivers... I mean, the scouting is absolutely paramount because all of the birds will find places that are open and just suck to it. And so you just have to find it and you got to find it before the people. So Nate and his wife, they pulled in Thursday. We had a fantastic meal here at the house and my wife, Beth, and she is such a great hostess. She just loves having people here. She loves making meals, making the house perfect. And so we had a, a fantastic meal that night. And Aiden found some uh, nice groups of bird Thursday. In fact, he slipped in there and shot his limit Thursday night. And at that point I'm like, okay, this weekend is, is looking good. This weekend's looking good. So I told Nate, Hey, don't go scout, go with Aiden. It was Aiden and his dad and Nate. I'm like, and they had never met, but, um, I gave him the pin. Here's what time to, to be there. And so Nate, Aiden, and his dad hunted Friday morning, and they shot their limit. I think by nine thirty. Now the place that they were hunting here, it was a row of trees that were ex- that were flooded, and extending into an open body of water that was flooded, and a big body of water. And there was a lot of ducks, but the issues that they were having were anytime you have that scenario, you're going to get a uh, short stopping. And they had a lot of that where birds weren't coming all the way into the decoys. And when that takes place, your shot selection, not necessarily your shot selection, the shots you have to take are a little bit farther maybe, but they did shoot their limit and it sounded like it was a great hunt. And I was actually, I had my first cardiac rehab session midday on Friday. It just happened to be scheduled on that day. And it, it landed right in the middle of the day. And so I was able to take off the entire day because of the time frame of when my first rehab session hit. So I was after my rehab session, I was actually able to get in the truck and head that way. And Nate came in and hunted with me. So Nate and I hunted the evening, in the same spot they'd hunted in the morning. And I shot my limit. I shot my five in there. And it, you know, it was a fun hunt, a good limit, but the decoys just weren't, they were a lot more difficult. The decoys, we had to creep out away from the woods a little too far. And so a lot of the shots were between 30 and 40. And I just, it's that's not as much fun for me. And the way my shotgun, my weather bee patterns at like 35, you can see it on the water. It's not a great 35 to 40 yard pattern. I really needed a full choke. I'm using a modified. I really needed a full choke. And so I was struggling a little bit at those distances. And, and I enjoyed the time being out there. Nate Nate just filmed for me. Uh, and I enjoyed being out there, but it wasn't as satisfying a limit as some others. But I still had a really fun time. Georgie did a long 200-yard blind. And it was, it was a good time. So that during that night, while Nate and I were hunting, Aiden was continuing to scout. And this is the cool thing about Aiden, the thing I love so much about him, is that he had just shot a limit, a three-man limit in the morning, a limit in the night. We could have shot another limit in the morning, but Aiden wasn't satisfied with it. And he said, you know, I want to try to find some trees. I want to try to find some cooler aesthetics. Maybe we can get him in a little closer. So he put on a massive scout that Friday evening, and he was sending us Marcos as we were hunting and he's like, man, I found him." He's like, they are right here. This is where we're going to hunt in the morning. So Aiden and his dad got there a little bit before we did Friday morning. They held down the spot. I'm sorry, Saturday morning. They held down the spot and Nate and I met him there and went, walked in and it was not an overly difficult walk. And we got in there Oh, and, and So that morning, my buddy Jeremy joined us. Now we had five. It was Aiden's dad, Aiden, Nate, and Jeremy. And so we walked in in the dark, and it was flooded trees, and we walked on and found the perfect hole. It was willows, but not all of it was willows. I mean, there are some fairly fairly tall trees in there. It's definitely what I would consider to be flooded timber. I know it's not technically green timber, so some people are going to balk about the fact that it's not, you're not flooded timber. I don't know. There was trees everywhere. Some of the trees were 30 feet high, maybe higher. So you don't want to call that flooded timber. It doesn't matter. We were in trees and the hide was so easy because you could just sit, just hang around trees, sit around trees. And I decided I was going to film the first part of this hunt and then pick up shooting later. So as soon as it became shooting time, there was mallards everywhere. And We had a couple drop in. We killed a single here, killed a single there. And then all of a sudden the skies opened up and there was mallards circling our hole. Like 100, 150 mallards circling our hole. And to get down into this hole, they had to get pretty vertical. The first group we had of about 10 10 to 15 that just floated right down in and and I got great footage of it with two different cameras and everyone starts unleashing on them and I could just see I'm looking at Nate I think he said that is the coolest thing I have ever seen in my life but about 15 minutes later the moment of the hunt that defined it is that we landed I mean at this point uh, there was all of a sudden like Two, three hundred birds circling over the top of the trees, circling over the top of the trees. And Aiden was the calling the shot on this hunt. And they started dropping down in. Here's two, here's three, here's four. And and then we had about 40 of them, I think, just hover straight down, right into perfect into the hole, right into the decoys. Now I have never I have only seen hunting like this before. on on video. I've never experienced um a this close of with that big of a flock right in the hole. I've just never experienced it. And Aiden called the shot perfect and I think we killed five out of it. Now on the on the cameras on the videos you couldn't you could hear more shooting than you could see birds dropping. Because I mean in in the trees like that they just get all spread out. We end up dropping five out of it I think. And it was just absolutely unbelievable having that many birds circling, having that many birds dropping down into the trees, into the flooded. Oh my gosh. Aiden's hooting and hollering and and <laughs> Jeremy was being his normal infectious self and Nate was eyes were as, as big as saucers and he's like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It was unreal. And I didn't even pick up the gun yet. I didn't pick that at this point. I think we had like 18 birds or something. And I didn't even pick up the gun. And so I'm all right. Uh, Nate had I finished his limit three, three of the five people had finished their limit. Jeremy needed three more and I hadn't even picked up the gun. So I grabbed the gun, put the head camera on and like that huge group did it. And from that moment to when I was done was like 12 minutes. It was actually a little anticlimactic for me. I love filming it. But it's like I picked up my gun and it was over. I picked up my gun. We had like 8 to 10 drop in. Boom, boom, shot a double. Six minutes later, I know exactly the timing because I've got a camera that just runs all the time. Six minutes later, another group of like 8 to 15. I don't know. Another double. Boom, boom. So I'm I'm four for five in like a six-minute span. And one of them I might have actually tripled. Because Jeremy and I kind of split on one. I I think that he shot it right before I pulled the trigger. I think, and then I so it was his bird. But I I did. I don't think I missed. And then boom, boom, two doubles in a row. So I'm four for five in a six minute period after after picking up the gun. And again, guys, these are the most easy cupcake shots of Mallard's just dropping straight vertical down into out of the trees into this, into this hole. I just never experienced anything like this before. We don't have these type of places. Aiden just got lucky and found this spot. I mean, like I said, I've only seen hunts like this on, on video. And then in the next five, six minutes, we had another group in and Jeremy and I each needed one on this pass and we got the last two. Unfortunately, I went one for three on that one. So I ended up like five for um, eight which I was four for five, but five rates fine. And that was the day it took us a, like a minute and five minutes to kill 25 mallards. It was just absolutely world-class, the best, the best duck hunt, the best mallard hunt of my life. Now I will say I wouldn't put it as the most fun ever hunt I've ever been on. There's one specific hunt where Aiden and my dad were on where we shot our limit and mallards and pintails over like, I think we finished up like at 12. That was just something about that overall hunt, how it dragged out was more fun. An hour long hunt is fine. But honestly, if you, if you drag that out to two hours, it's probably, a, it's more enjoyment. But it was the best Mallard hunt that I have, I have ever been on. And the camaraderie with the guys and the dogs, Stella and Georgie just going all over the place, man, it was just unbelievable that was my second day of the weekend. Now I knew I was going to hunt Friday afternoon and Saturday, but I wasn't sure about Sunday. We were driving a long ways to get to these places. We were driving a long ways. And so it was kind of wearing on me, driving, come back, driving, come back. But midway through this hunt, I'm like, there is absolutely no way I'm not hunting on Sunday. Absolutely no way. Because if I can get on another hunt like that, I I will, there's very possibly I may go my entire life and never, ever have that kind of hunt again. Because landing big flocks is not easy. Most of the time that I'm killing mallards, it's singles, doubles, um, maybe three, maybe five. If we get eight, it's like, you know. That hunt I was on with my buddy Phil this year. I don't know if you guys saw that particular video where we landed like 15. To me, that was like the decoy of the year. we just, It's just hard to completely finish big flocks of mallards. It's not an easy thing. Everything just has to come in line and be perfect. So I i don't know. That, that may be the most visually stimulating duck hunt that I ever go on in my life. I hope not. I hope that I can get into more of those, but I'm 50 and that's the the coolest thing I've ever seen. So I'm like, I'm coming back Sunday. I am coming back. So at this point I got a limit on Friday. We've been hanging out with Nate and his family. I got a limit on Saturday, the best duck hunt of my life. And I'm going back Sunday and I got the chiefs game on Sunday too. So I'm like, man, this weekend halfway through is something special. Well, I get a text on, actually, I got a text Friday from one of my training buddies, Jacob. Uh, we've got a little group that we all meet. If you're into like AKC, HRC hunt test stuff, you just cannot do it by yourself. There's just, it's an impossibility. So you have to, what you have to find is a little group of three or four guys that when you go training, you can all work together to set up these training properly. And so Jacob's in that group and he and I have actually only hunted one other time together ever. And it was on the river we shot two birds. Uh, I didn't even make a video of it. And I get a text from him Friday and he has changed his job, he's got a newborn and he says, "Man, This has been, I don't remember exactly what the text said, but basically this has been a terrible year. I haven't hardly shot any ducks. I haven't hardly been out. Like, um, He's basically fighting the depression of how poor of season this has been. And he's like, do you know of any open water? He said this on Friday and I thought, you know what? It might actually work for him to come with us if I plan to hunt Sunday, which at that point I didn't even know if I was going to hunt Sunday. I'm like, I might, I might not. So I said to him, I was just like, um, I'll tell you what I'm hunting Sunday. I should have a lot more information by, by, or no, I mean, Saturday, I should have a lot more information about all the conditions and I will make sure to help you whether I say, Hey, I think she should go here. Or even if, you know, Jeremy or, or Aiden were hunting on Sunday and I wasn't, maybe I could have come with those group, but he's just such a great guy. And I, and I know that he had been really down about his hunting year. So I'm like, I, I think I can help you with that. I'm going to have a lot of information. We get done with our hunt on Saturday and Nate's got to go home. Aiden's dad can't hunt Sunday. I know I'm coming back. So I'm like, this will work great for, uh, Jacob to come with us. It'd be Aiden, Jeremy, me and Jacob. And I sent him the picture of our women. I was like, we killed all these in one hour. You want to come with us tomorrow? (laughs) And He's just like thousand percent. You just tell me when and where let's do it. So, went on went on that evening. Had a great dinner my wife had made. Hung out with Nate and his family some more around a fire. At ours. I love love fires in the winter. We've got a fireplace, and when it's cold out, if it's below fifty degrees, we probably have a fire five out of seven nights. And there's just something special about a fireplace in a home. And what I really want – I'm going off topic a little bit here. But if you've ever seen like those old homes, um, especially like the aristocratic like uh, shows and movies, they always have these massive fireplaces because they're actually trying to heat the room. They're huge. They're like – Four foot tall, four foot wide, and you can just get roaring fires. I mean, like, someday that's what I want in my house. If I ever get the opportunity to build a house, I probably won't. But if I do, that kind of fireplace is going in my house. <laughs> so Nate and his family end up actually leaving on Saturday. So we get up Sunday, and we're going back to the same spot. We're like, we're going to get that exact same hole. And a little nervous someone's going to beat us to it, because... That was such a special hunt, but we got our spot. We were the first ones in the parking lot and we all arrived at the same time in the parking lot. We start walking out there. Um, Actually, Aiden went out a little bit before us, actually. Anyway, it had gotten a little bit colder on Saturday night. And so everything refroze. So this was kind of disappointing that we didn't get to hunt that same spot because hunting in those trees was just something so unique and so special for us here in this area but we did find a little pool that the ducks and geese have been holding open and i i haven't whole uh, hunting ice holes is one of my very favorite things ice holes are just so much fun and they just attract the birds because the birds have such limited options there you are with your ice hole so this day was a little colder, went from a cloudy day to a sunny day. Um, so we just set up on this ice hole. And uh, when the day started, it was a little surprising that, because Aiden had kicked off a bunch of mallards and a bunch of geese off this hole. And the the movement was just way less than what we expected it to be. But slowly, you know, we're killing one, we kill another one, we kill... And and we're just kind of chipping away at it. And then all of a sudden, as the day goes on, and we finished by like, I think 10. So it was a little two hours. It took us about three hours to, to get this done. But as the day went on, the movement picked up and the movement picked up. And so we went from kind of killing some passioning birds right over our head to finishing birds in the decoys. And... What I thought was starting to worry about not being the best day ended up being ridiculously fun hunt. I left Georgie at home on this one because I wanted Jacob to be able to bring his dog Cooper because he hadn't got to hunt that much and Aiden had Stella. So Georgie got the day off. And so it was kind of actually nice and relaxing to be able to just sit and hunt and not worry about my dog. Although, I mean, I don't like like leaving Georgie, but it was still kind of fun, kind of relaxing. And the four of us shot our limit by about, like I said, about 10 o'clock. And the weather was, it was up real soon. It was like 35, 36, 37 degrees, total blue skies. Our weather was just gorgeous. And we had the wind at our, or the sun at our back. There wasn't much wind, but sun at our back. And so when Mallard would get out in front of us, you know, on those sunny days where their head just glistens, that's what it was like. Every time you saw a flock, e- even if it wasn't that far away, it was like a artist had painted a picture because you got these mallards with the gleaming green heads with the complete blue sky in the background it was unbelievable it was unbelievable and it had been a pretty successful day pretty fun not all you know i mean how much i like a hunt a lot of it depends on what type of shots i'm getting not all mallard limits are the same and so, if someone's telling me, "Yeah, I shot your limit today. I shot my limit of mallards today," the first question I normally ask is, "Like, were you finishing them?" Because it makes such a big difference. A for me, if you don't agree with this, teach his own. But for me, a limit of mallards where they're hovering over the the hole or, or the spinner, or the decoys, or whatever, versus pass shooting them at thirty to thirty-five over your head are night and day different. And a lot of this hunt had been, I wouldn't say half the birds we'd been shooting. They were doing this weird thing where they kept kind of circle over us. And then as they were coming in, they would even come in low, but they were coming right over us and not over the hole. This little ice hole was only about 50 yards by 20 yards, 50 yards long, 20 yards wide. And so we were picking off a lot of those singles. But as the movement picked up and the sun got on the decoys, all of a sudden things started to change. And they started doing it right. And the last group we got down, just like the day before, it was Jeremy and I each needed a bird. And we finished a group. There was about, I I think about 75 ducks in the air. And we finished about 20 of them right over the hole. And Jeremy and I each just clean killed shot it. I put this clip on Instagram. I love this clip because it's such a blue sky and you see this whole flock just set up and come right in and then. I kill the first one. Jeremy kills the second one. And that happening right there upgraded the hunt next year on the North. I hope I can get this done by next year on the North American waterfowler app. I'm going to add a satisfaction scale of one to 10. And for me to give a hunt, a 10 is going to be very, very difficult. Very, very difficult to give a hunt a 10. A 10 is going to have to be, everything's perfect. Everything falls into place. And so this hunt on Sunday, that last group moved the satisfaction scale of this hunt from like a, either a six to eight. If, if we had kept just kind of picking at them and, and hitting kind of pat shots, I probably would have given it a six out of 10. It's hard to give them four man, a four man mallard limit a six though. So I'd have to really think about maybe a seven. But the the satisfaction, the feeling inside, like how much fun was this hunt is really how I'm going to judge the scale. <clears throat> and I would probably give it an eight. The The Saturday would be a 10. And If I get nitpicky, I might say, well, finished in an hour. It would have been way more satisfying had the sun been out. It would have been way more satisfying if it had been a two-hour hunt instead of one hour. But I, that is so nitpicky when I'm talking about the best hunt of my life as far as the how the ducks react. That's gotta be a 10 out of 10. It's gotta be a 10 out of 10. Um, but this hunt ended up just being so much fun and that last pass of birds up upgraded the satisfaction level tremendously. In fact, the last three birds I shot were like just perfect right over. And it was the the ending of the Ending of the season for duck hunting. I'm going to probably go on a goose hunt and probably at least one or two snow goose hunts. So I've got a few more hunts, but I am a duck hunter. I am a North American duck hunter. I will hunt geese, but I am a duck hunter. That is what I care about. And to end the duck hunting season on a group of 20-ish, 25-ish, perfectly over the decoys, two perfect shots, two perfect dogs picking them up, it could not have been a better end to the season. And Jacob was just so elated. In fact, I I talked to him. I was texting with him today. I'm going to read this to you guys. This is funny. Um, I was texting with him today. And he said, that spot was epic. So many birds. I can't wait to see the video. I had such an upbeat attitude since the hunt. Talk about a recharge. He said, I can't thank you for the invite enough. And I was talking when he said, um, it is truly so crucial to my happiness. I think it goes beyond passion, beyond obsession. It is what fuels me. And isn't that just perfect for a North American waterfowler? That's just how we are. You go out and have a good hunt, and it keeps you happy for quite a while. That one hunt saved his season, really. He had had just hasn't newborn, new job. and it was affecting how he was feeling in his life. It goes beyond passion, beyond obsession, it's what fuels me. <clears throat> if that's how you feel, that is the epitome of a North American waterfowler. And when I got that comment a couple weeks ago about, you know what, all you ever present is the central flyway. What about sea duck hunters? What about different types of hunters in North America? I don't feel like it's a fair representation. The point of a North American waterfowler is that statement. It's beyond a passion. It's beyond an obsession. It's what fuels your soul. Your day to day contentment can get way too involved in it. There was one day, and for us that are really um, God fearing, Bible believing people, we see God in it, and we attach our we attach ourselves to those emotions too. But that's a little bit of a, of a, a different topic of finding God in, in, and seeing God and seeing his, his creation in the waterfowl hunting. But I had a day where I was feeling down in the dumps, man. And uh, I was at work. I was like, what's the matter with me? I, I just was one of those days where I was feeling blue. And then all of the sudden I thought about the scouting thing I wanted to do. I don't remember. I think this was in the spring. And I got this big plan of this whole scout that I was going to do to see what kind of vegetation was growing up in these areas. And my mood and my attitude flipped around and the rest of the day I was happy. <coughs> and it makes me kind of mad at myself. I don't want to be that dependent for my mood. I don't want my mood to depend that deeply on having something to think about involving waterfowl hunting. But us North American waterfowlers, and if you're listening, you're probably like this too. It's what fuels you. And that's the point of the North American waterfowler tag. It's really not about all the different kinds of hunting in North America. It's inward. It's about a mentality. It's about Walking into a negative 35 degree day and walking around in the water and having no regrets of making the decision to do that. I'm going to take a quick break. Check out this song that I absolutely love. It's another one from Josh Garrels. When we come back, we're going to get into what Kansas is doing and they're going to do it. They're going to do it. So we're going to go over what they talked about at the commission meeting, and I'm going to give you my thoughts about it when we come back.
2: Higher than the mountain, Deeper than the sea From the birth of the east on to the west is the law started with the sea Stronger than the wildest says in the rising tide The cords of death hung So heavy on our necks We'll be left at the great divide
1: All right. So thank you for coming back for that little break. Hope you enjoyed that song. I play a lot of those Josh Garrell songs. You should check him out on Spotify. Check him out on YouTube. Um, his music is fantastic. Anyway, we are now going to jump into the Kansas department, of wildlife and parks commission meeting and and what their plans are for next season for non-residents. And we have talked, I've talked about this for a while. Um, I've talked about it quite a bit, but it has been a while since I've talked about it. It's been probably half a year, three-fourths of a year, that Kansas Commission has been talking about limiting non-resident waterfowl hunters and and what their idea for it is. And now they, I just want to bring the latest news to you. So let me play this clip from the commission meeting. There was a little bit more. Than this one clip, but I think this clip pretty much summarizes it. So here is what was said at the commission meeting last Thursday. I'm
3: Ryan Stookie, Public Lands Assistant Director, and I'm also serving as the uh, Acting Director. I'm here today to present the new regulation addressing the overpressure of non resident waterfowl hunters on our public lands. Back on April 27th, this last year, at Bonner Springs, we presented for the first time the idea of creating a new regulation for non resident waterfowl hunting on public lands. Since then, we have talked about non-residents spending more consecutive days on public waterfowl properties, hunting in larger groups, and spending more time per day on these specific properties pursuing waterfowl. We believe this has changed the waterfowl behavior to a point there is a growing concern that ducks specifically are not able to utilize our public wetlands sufficiently to meet their dietary, energy, and resting needs because of the human pressure that has increased in intensity. Resident waterfowl hunters are also reporting an increase in volume that this change in non-resident waterfowl hunting culture has decreased their opportunities on department lands and waters. We have vetted several recommendations and ideas on how we could restrict the non-resident pressure while still giving those non-residents several days to hunt waterfowl on public lands throughout the established Kansas waterfowl seasons. We still believe the original proposal to restrict non-resident waterfowl hunting on public lands to Sundays, Mondays, and Tuesdays is the best recommendation. We have workshopped this proposal in the five previous commission meetings, and this now being the sixth. We have mentioned several times that we have been in communication with our federal partners, being the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, the Bureau of Reclamation, and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. All three partners are in agreement with our proposal and understand that we are presenting the written
1: regulation today. So there you go to summarize that they have we knew that they were going to that they were going to be able to do get Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks land whether they own it or lease it under these non non-resident regulations where you can only hunt on Sunday Monday Tuesday But from what everyone that I talked to, I did not believe that they could get the Army Corps to agree to it. And that means all of the reservoir land. So we have these big reservoirs. And most of the reservoirs are controlled by the Army Corps of Engineer. And then. Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks leases some of it, typically as the river's coming into the lake. There's a lot of marshes up there that they build and develop and they rent all of that land. But anything that they haven't leased is core land. And so I would have bet a lot of money that they would not be able to get the core on board with these new regulations. Then you've got the federal refuges and there's not that many of them in Kansas i there's 3 that i can think of and again i did not think that they would be able to get federal wildlife refuges i mean these are federal places on board with these regulations as well and and what he said is they have they have everyone on board with the regulations so if they pass this <clears throat> Starting next year, non-residents will only be able to hunt Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday pretty much everywhere in the state that's public except for Kansas River, Arkansas River, Missouri River. Those will be open. And walk-ins are called weehaw's. And we don't have very many good waterfowl weehaw's. That's insignificant. Now, private will be open game. And during this process, I have listened to, there's been, I think, six commission meetings that they've talked about this. I think it's been about almost 12 years they've been talking about, or 12 months they've been talking about this. They do a commission meeting every every two months, and I think this is the sixth one. So it's been about 12 months, I think. I've listened to every single one of the meetings that they have had on the topic, and there's, I think, six commissioners, six or seven commissioners, who vote on these things. So they will bring it up, and they'll say yes or no. And there has not been a single dissenting voice from a single commissioner doing the whole thing. Not a single commissioner has stood up and said, "I'm concerned about this. I'm not on board with it." It's been pretty much silence when they when the state guys that are um, bringing these regulations up, there's really no questions, there's really no worry about the economic impact there's really no worry about the health of the sport they're going to pass this to me i'm giving it 99.9 percent chance passing i think it's a done deal they're going to bring it up i think in two months and it's going to be done um so why are, why are they doing this There has been an influx of non-residents into the state. There is no doubt about that. There has been an increase in non-resident hunters coming in, and there's been a decrease of um, resident hunters hunting. And the sentiment is that, number one, Kansas is becoming overrun with non-resident hunters making it a more crowded state to hunt in. And number two, they are pressuring the birds at a much higher level than your resident hunters. So non-residents come in and this is absolutely true. They hunt all day long. Once their hunts done, they boat around, they scout They're That's what they're here to do. Most of the resident hunters in Kansas are done at nine 10 o'clock. They just pack it up. But non-resident hunters are, way more active. And so the thought is that they are putting pressure on the birds, whether it's in their boat, whether it's flushing them, birds are not being able to rest. You heard him make that statement about with all of the non-residents, birds are not having an adequate place to rest, feed, what have you. And then the other sentence is it's just overcrowded now. It's overcrowded. Um, also they, they, when you come to the state, you have to log in and say, when you're hunting a place and I'm hearing from credible sources, there's a lot of days where the non-residents are about 65% of who's, of who's hunting. We've got tons of people coming in from South Carolina, tons of people coming in from Georgia, Texas, Mississippi, it's pretty much all the south and south carolina for some reason south carolina travels really really well and i will say especially when you get into december if you go out to uh, um hunting it does feel like there is mostly non-residents out there is how it feels i fully believe that something in this state needs to be done to prioritize residents over non-residents. I don't think it's this. I don't think this is the answer to it. Um, <clears throat> I would like people that live in South Carolina, live in Georgia, live in Mississippi. I would like to have, give them the opportunity to come into this state and hunt. If you're coming clear in from South Carolina, you're you're probably going to be hunting more than three days. Most of these people come in for five to seven days. Now, I've heard numbers that say otherwise. But everyone I run into and talk to, not a very scientific sample size, but everyone I run into and talk to, it's five to seven days. Now, if you can drive here in five, six hours, then maybe you take a two, three day trip. But if you're coming in here, From hours and hours and hours away, you're probably not only hunting three days. So those types of non-residents, you're really not giving them an opportunity to really hunt the state. The people that are really getting screwed over in this deal, I've got a lot of friends that live just across the border in Missouri just across the border in Nebraska. And this is where they hunt people that live. I wish that they would have some type of like border States would not, not be a part of this legislation. If you live just across the border where you're like 30, 45 minutes from good hunting ground in Kansas, you're basically taking that hunting away from those weekend hunters and same with Nebraska. And I just hate to see the people that I know who live 30 minutes from my house, <clears throat> their Kansas hunting is essentially done. They're weekend hunters. I think that a bigger concern for me is looking into the future and the health of the sport. If Kansas adopts this, and then Nebraska adopts it, and Oklahoma adopts it, and it just starts rushing where, where more and more states make it very, very difficult to travel and hunt. I don't think that's a good thing for the sport. My understanding is is the numbers are dwindling. Duck hunter numbers are dwindling is my understanding compared to 10, 20, 30 years ago. And I don't think it's healthy for the sport to just continue to restrict access from state to state. I think that's a negative I think that's negative for the sport. I think people should be able to travel and hunt. And this framework, I don't think allows people to do that. I would be much more for a lottery system like South Dakota, where it's like, okay, you know, we're going to give you, uh, we think our state can handle X amount of people, put them for the lottery. It um, seems to be working in South Dakota. And I I know guys that go up there and hunt and they, they get their draw like every year. Or another idea would be, Oh, residents only on opening weekends and then block out some portion of time. Like I, I felt the pressure this year between Dece- December, 15th and January 1st, every time I went hunting or not every time, but I really felt the pressure of non-resident during that time. So maybe you say opening weekends are resident only. And the last two weeks of, of December are resident only but to me. That makes a lot more sense. Some, something like that. But I don't like this Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I don't think it's 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 the right answer. I don't think it's the right answer. You're cutting out border state people, people that are coming from a long ways away. You're basically saying no because they're not going to only hunt for three days. Um, that would be. It. Now I went through my hunts. Let's let's talk about the perception of overcrowding in Kansas. I went through my hunts from this year. I went on 20, 32 hunts total, 20 of which were in Kansas on public ground. I went through each hunt and I gave them a score of one to four. One is ideal conditions where you either don't see anyone when you're hunting at all, or if there's people hunting, they're so far away from you that it, they're non-existent to you. Like maybe you hear a couple groups clear across the lake. Maybe you see their boat, but they're like a mile, two miles away. <coughs> That'd be a score of a one. Score of a two would be, um, you know, maybe the groups are somewhere between 500 to a thousand yards away from you, but there's not very many of them. It has no impact on, on your hunt at all. Mm-hmm. You kind of know they're there and you can maybe hear them shooting and, and, but it's of almost no impact to you. Like, yeah, I know some guys there, but they're so far away. It's just no big deal. And then three would be hunters are closer than I would like. They're not really like one group maybe comes and sets up 250 yards from you. Those type of hunts where it's close enough that you kind of might feel like they're calling at the same birds you are. um, And it's a little uncomfortable, not horrible, little uncomfortable. And then a four would be, it's severe. This is so overcrowded that it is making this experience suck. So one, two, three, or four. And I went through my 20 hunts. And out of my 20 hunts, eight of them were ideal pressure conditions. I gave a one, to where either I felt all alone or there were so few people, it, it was just perfect. Eight of the 20, that's 40%. I gave a two to seven of the 20 hunts, which means there were some other people hunting, but they were nowhere close. I could see them. They were nowhere close. So 75% of my 20 hunts were, I felt very good about the pressure, like ideal conditions, basically. I gave a three to two of the hunts where there was two different times there was people closer than I would like. It wasn't severe. It wasn't ruining my hunt, but they were, it was just closer than I like. They felt like they were in my space. And then three times out of the 20, it was severe. And all three of those were opening weekends. In fact, four out of those five were on opening weekends. If you were to take out opening weekends, because opening weekends are always overcrowded, whether you have non residents or not, opening weekends are always overcrowded. We know this. If I were to take out opening weekends from this equation, then there would only have been one time, one hunt that I went on this year where there was people closer than I'd like. And that wasn't even a severe. That was a, just a, a, a three. Closer than I like, felt a little uncomfortable, didn't ruin it. So 75% of the 20 times I went out this year, I was extremely happy with the amount of people that were out there. <coughs> Excuse me. And only 30% of the time or 25% of the time, was a little unpleasant. So when I hear about people complaining about how overcrowded it is, I don't know. I don't don't understand it. I don't get it. Now, that being said, there are two or three locations in this state that I avoid because I know if you go to those places, it's probably going to be overcrowded to you. So I stay away from them intentionally. And if you're to go to those places every single time, You're probably going to be closer to the people than you like probably almost 100% of the time or I don't know, 70% like a lot. So there are a few places in the state that absolutely feel that way. But I'm a weekend hunter. I'm a weekend hunter. And for me, it is not difficult to find a place to hunt where you're not too close to other people. It's just not. And this is not a one year. This, I could go back every single year. I could tell you this. Just go watch my videos. If there's people too close to me, I'm talking about them on my videos. And it just doesn't happen to me. There are a group of individuals on the refugeforums.com in the Kansas threads that have been whining and crying about this topic for years. And quite honestly, they are the ones that have got this ball rolling. And they just claim that that Kansas is just overrun, overcrowded. I don't know what where they're at or what they're doing. I live near a huge metropolitan area. I am not clear out in the western part side of the state where the population is zero. Now, I will travel to hunt. But as far as the population areas of Kansas, I'm in the biggest population area of the state. And 75% of my hunts this year was ideal as far as other people crowding me in. I, I don't know what, wh- where these guys are hunting or what kind of effort that they're putting in that they claim everywhere is overcrowded with people. I mean, are, are they expecting a public land hunt to see no one all of the time? Like if they see someone, oh, this is horrible. I I don't want to sit here and say that they're just lazy, but that's about the only thing I can think of. Because if you think you're just going to wander out of the parking lot and go to the first little quick place you find, yeah, it's probably going to be overcrowded. I can tell you on the complexes where not to go. That marsh there, that's probably going to be crowded. If you go to that marsh, you're probably going to run into people. And guess what? It's only about a 50-yard walk. That pool, crowded. I don't ever go to it. There are pools close to me I never go to because of that reason. I know what I'm going to get. I know what to expect in those. And I assume that these these old men, I think most of them are old men or just really crotchety 50-year-olds. I don't know. How much effort are they putting into this game? Maybe they're hunting four or five times a year. They don't scout. They just go to the the, uh, easiest place to go. I don't know, but they're not putting in much effort because it does not take that much effort in this state to have a pleasurable experience where you're not overcrowded by people. I've hunted here for 30 years. I've hunted virtually all of the places in the state. I don't know where these people are getting this perception. Now we've, this is the third year of a drought. It's like the perfect storm. We've been in a drought now for three years. And obviously anytime that you're in a drought, you're going to get a concentration of people. And some of my favorite places I go, over the last three years, have had more people than I would like. But you know what? At those complexes, there's like 50% less water than normal. The little holes that you can get away to have no water. So the public land hunters are consolidating into those areas. I just, for the life of me, don't understand the narrative of it's overcrowded. Now I had the manager from the bottoms from Cheyenne bottoms on within the last year. And he was specifically saying at that location, and I've not been there for about five or six years that it's not the overcrowding. It's the, the boat traffic. It's the pressure on the birds, not the overcrowding. And so Right now, I'm just talking about the overcrowding side of it because he did, on that commission meeting, you heard him say that half of this is people complaining about the overcrowding. He he broke it into two parts, the pressure on the birds and the overcrowding. Now, I will tell you, this was the best year of waterfowling I ever had in my life in this state. This is the best year of waterfowling that Aiden ever had in his life in this state. It's the best Year of waterfowling Jake from Chasing Green has ever had in this state. Best year of waterfowling that Jeremy, my friend, comes in from Nebraska, has ever had in this state. So if they are so overpressured, the birds, that they can't find places, they're too nocturnal, they can't find places to feed, they can't find places to rest, how in the hell are we all having the best seasons of our life? where 75% of the time I'm either seeing no one or so a few of people that it doesn't even register. How is it, how can that be true? And again, I know that there are three places I can think of that maybe they need their own regulations. We've got an entire state here It doesn't. It certainly does not feel that way to me. And this year, the weather has been awful. The weather's been awful. But you know what? Our public land managers, I would put our public land managers as far as habitat creation, I can't imagine in the United States there are better habitat managers at public places than Kansas. And these guys produce such fantastic habitat, moist soil habitat that the ducks just can't resist it no matter what. Now they get pushed out, they get nocturnal, it's weather-based you got, and sometimes they do get pushed quick, but our habitat is so fantastic That you can shoot birds. Not all the time. Not every time. There's times where they go nocturnal. There's times that they get stale. It's based on the cold fronts. But I have had so many people I know. This has been the best year of their life. Year three of the drought. And everyone's just pounding of birds. Now the mallards came down really, really late. And more green-winged teal were killed this year than any other year. And that definitely plays into it. My mallard numbers after this last weekend were still, um, I ended up with 32 mallard drakes. I don't shoot many more than that in a season. I don't hunt enough to be able to get over 50, 60, 70, 80 mallard drakes. I shot 132 ducks this year, about 35 green wing teal, 33 blue wing teal, 32 mallards. I'm more than happy with that, seeing how they didn't even really get down here until the beginning of December. And I couldn't hunt. Two of the two weeks in January. So if if what they're saying about the pressure on the birds is so accurate all over the state, I I, I'm not seeing it. Again, I know that that is more than likely true on on the highly pressured locations. I'm sure that that's true, and they're making some regulations to to deal with that. There's no wake. On one of them there's no no wake rules. On another, you can't go in before five am. so they're they're addressing those things through their through regulations at those specific locations. So it just gives me concern because i I don't think that more and more and more regulations and and not allowing people to come and hunt, is good for the overall long-term health of the sport. People in South Carolina really struggle to get hunting in South Carolina. They need to be able to travel. If all of a sudden they can't travel and hunt anymore, they're not going to be teaching their, their sons to hunt anymore. Down in Louisiana, down in lower Arkansas, some of these states, because of the weather patterns that we have been in, and because of rice production, a decrease in a decrease in rice production, they're not getting the kind of hunting that their dads, their grandpas, their grandpa, grandpas saw. And if they want to continue that tradition, they've got to travel. And the more regulations and the less you can travel from state to state to state, we just have to make sure that they're still able that we all are still able to travel the country and hunt. And when you cut it down just to three days instead of something like South Dakota or some other type of system, it's just a, to me, it's just a bad, it's just a bad idea. So those are my thoughts. They're going to do it. It's coming. It's going to happen. It's going to pass. So if, if, if you hear this and you hate it, look up Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks. You can find the commissioners. Feel free to email them. And then the next thing they're going to do is come after the YouTubers because a lot of them blame YouTubers for the increase in non-resident pressure. And the tides are turning to how people feel about YouTubers. And they're coming for us next in a big way here in Kansas. So we will just see how the future holds. I can tell you this: no matter what happens, I'm going to be hunting. Whether I can film or not, I'm going to be hunting. You can. I, I am a waterfowler first, and a YouTube waterfowler second. You can take the you. You can take the filming away from me. You're not going to take that away from me, because that is. I have made a point since I started filming. That when I make a decision about a particular hunt, the decision that's made is is to kill more ducks, not to get better film. And I always want it to be that way. So anyway, there you go. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If you want to give me feedback or talk more about this, you can do it on the North American Waterfowler podcast Facebook group. You can email me, FreelanceDuckHunting at gmail.com. You can catch me on Instagram, hunting, and give me your thoughts on it. I appreciate it, and it really, really helps me if you give me a rating and a review for the podcast, whether that's on Spotify, iTunes, whatever. It really, really does help. So that's all I have for you today. I hope that you enjoyed this one. You have listened to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast.
2: On the open plain but Past the time and the longest bloodline Death shines in the mortal flame Somewhere in between for. a place, moth and rust can not lay waste, this is grace, the face alone that has the stories
0: to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life
2: yeah baby 68 western i will be over there baby right there
3: tune in every tuesday at 7 p m eastern on waypoint tv